I titled this morning's message, Hosanna, the King of Israel. It's that psalm that we that Kyle read to us this morning, those, those words that would have been sung as they made their way down from the Mount of Olives on that particular day. But today is Palm Sunday, and it's, it's actually known as Passion Sunday also. And Palm Sunday is the beginning of a Passion Week. There's really a whole lot that happened within this week as the Lord, with his disciples, made his way down from Galilee. A lot took place. Uh, Some believe that this period of time might have been about a four-month period from the time that he left that area of Galilee and made his way now towards Jerusalem, coming with his disciples specifically for the Passover feast, as Jews from all around would make their way, their pilgrimage, uh, there to Jerusalem each year. This Passion Week, or this word passion actually in the Latin, it, it means to suffer. And when we think of really our Lord and, and everything leading up to the cross, really there was a, a lot of suffering that went on in our Lord. We read in the authorized King James Version in Acts 1.3, it says, to whom also Jesus showed himself alive, and it says, after his passion. And it's that same word, or after his suffering. In the New King James, what I'm reading from, it reads this way, Acts 1.3, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Jesus told his disciples, this was after his resurrection. He gave them the message of the gospel that he wanted them to go out into this world with. And in Luke 24, verse 46, Jesus said to his disciples, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to raise from the dead the third day. That's the gospel message. But notice that within that gospel message, it was necessary for Christ to suffer. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 9, we read in verse 24, it says, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundations of the world, but now once at the end of the ages. That's Jesus Christ. He is our priest. He he came as prophet. He came as priest into this world, and he came as king. But it goes on to say, He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it was appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was also offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear 
a second time. Isn't that cool? Christ is coming back. Did you know that it's actually an unpopular thing today in the church, in many churches, to talk about Christ's return? To actually teach from the book of Revelation? Uh, It's unpopular because there is, even within the church, some people that do not live in expectancy of Christ's return. They don't even like the thought (laughs) of Christ coming back. And am I ready? And And so, but we should be excited. I think something's wrong. There's something missing. If we're not living as Christians, expecting that our Lord could return at any moment. It's how the Lord wants us to live. Much of what we're going to look at today, this Passion Week, is recorded in all four of the Gospels. As a matter of fact, uh, to show you how important this Passion Week is to us, or we could call these last seven days of our Lord's walk here on earth, one-third of the Gospel of Matthew is devoted to this last week of his life. One-third of the Gospel of Mark is devoted to this last week of his life. One quarter of Luke's gospel is devoted to this. And then eight out of the 21 chapters in John's gospel are all in reference to this Passion Week, this last week of our Lord's life. I want to take us today, and I want to take us really on a walk with Jesus. And from that area of Galilee where he left with his disciples, making their way towards Jerusalem uh, for this feast, the disciples had no clue what was ahead. They didn't know. Jesus knew exactly what was coming. This coming Friday, we're going to have Good Friday. Uh, We're going to have this service here at seven o'clock to really look at the details of the death and the burial of our Lord. On Sunday, we're going to be celebrating that resurrection. All of this transpired within this week. But the timing of this Passion Week, uh, keep in mind that Jesus is 33 years old right now, a little over 33 years old. By the time he came to this last week of his life, one of the incredible things that I think we see as we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus is the perfect timing of all of these events. All of these uh, things that are transpiring here, they were already laid out in heaven. None of these events took Jesus by surprise. He knew that they were coming. And everything about his coming into this world, his ministry on this earth, his leaving this world, they were all predetermined. And I think that's important for us as Christians to know. That the Lord actually, none of this, God didn't make any of this up as he was going along. And none of this caught him off guard. He knew exactly what events were going to unfold, and he knew the exact timing that these things were going to unfold. That word predetermined, actually by definition it means to settle 
or to decide something in advance. And so what am I saying? Are, are all of these things settled in advance before they even happen? I believe they are. As a matter of fact, over 300 prophecies were fulfilled in the, the life of Christ and in his ministry. Prophecy in scripture is important. It declares who he is. He can say before it happened, and he told the disciples on many occasions the things that were going to happen before they did. But remember that Jesus also, on numerous occasions, he told his disciples and he told others uh, during this three years of public ministry that he had that his time had not yet come. He knew it. He knew the precise time. He knew the exact time, the exact hour. In other words, all of this was being unfolded before this world, and it was predetermined. Jesus' birth into this world was predetermined. His water baptism by John the Baptist, it was predetermined. To that day, as John was baptizing in the Jordan, and then the Son of God comes walking out to him, predetermined. The timing for Jesus' public ministry to begin at age 30, predetermined. His riding into Jerusalem that we're going to look at today as King of the Jews, it was predetermined actually to the very day, according to the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. To the very day. His going to the cross was predetermined. His resurrection and ascension. Three days later, he was going to raise from there. Predetermined. His ascension up into heaven. And even looking forward to the rapture, to the second coming of Jesus Christ, all of these events were predetermined in heaven. That gives me a lot of confidence in God. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knew exactly what was going to take place before it did. We read in uh, John chapter 2, verse 4, at the start of Jesus' public ministry, that he attended a wedding in this area of Canaan. And we're told that at this wedding, Jesus' mother, that she came to him and, and said, Jesus, they're out of wine. And Jesus said to her, what does your concern have to do with me? And then look what he says. My hour has not yet come. Uh, this was the first miracle that Jesus, that's recorded at least in Scripture, that Jesus performed. The turning of the water into wine. And Jesus making those words to his mother. My hour has not yet come. In John chapter 6, verse, uh, or excuse me, chapter 7, verse 6, when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for another annual feast, it was called the Feast of Tabernacles, we're told that he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. And then we're told that even his own brothers, Jesus' half-brothers, they, they told Jesus, why are you trying to hide Go into Judea so that your disciples can see your miracles 
They said, you can't do these things in secret, Jesus. Even his own brothers didn't believe in the beginning. That took some time. They were, in a sense, telling and and really challenging Jesus with those words. And so Jesus says to his brothers, he says, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. You see, Jesus, even in that, even in going off into Judea there, he knew that he shouldn't go that his time was not yet, uh, even to be arrested. And we see this on numerous occasions as we go through, leading up to even these final days of our Lord. In chapter 7, verse 30, after Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, we're told that the Jews came looking for Jesus. And after Jesus spoke to them about his doctrine and his authority, we're told that the Jews that they sought to kill him But then we're told that no one laid hands on Jesus because his hour had not yet come. Who was in control? Jesus, God was in control of every situation. In John chapter 8, verse 17, we read that Jesus was speaking while he was there in the Temple Mount to the Jews that were in the treasury. And Jesus said to the Jews in verse 17, Is it not written in your law that the testimony of two men is true? And he says, I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him. Why? For his hour had not yet come. Timing, and the timing of the Jesus going to the cross, it was predetermined. It was prophesied. It was predetermined actually even before the creation of the world. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the council of heaven predetermined when this was going to take place. They worked out all of the details precisely. Did you know that even your salvation was already worked out? Did you know that it didn't catch God by surprise when you said yes to Him? Can you teach God anything? He knew. He knew when. He knew the day. He knew the events leading up to your salvation. We read in 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. And then it says this, before time began. God already knew you. 
He already knew that you were going to say yes to Jesus Christ. Pretty incredible. But Jesus knew that his time was drawing near. As he left Galilee and he began to make his way down, he knew that this last walk was going to lead to the cross. He knew that this plan of salvation was going to be unveiled to the world. That in all of this, I believe that the Lord, he, he, he saw the shame, he saw the suffering, he saw those things coming ahead of him, but it was the joy. He was set, his mind was set on going to the cross. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that he didn't back out? That he went all the way to the cross? Jesus and his disciples, they began this descent from this area of Galilee. It was about an 85-mile trek. Probably about four days' worth of journey to get down to Jerusalem. But as he's coming down, he's actually there, there's probably a four-month period that's going to transpire after the Passover feast uh, is completed before Jesus would actually go to the cross. But as Jesus came down, he came into this small little village called Bethany. And they came into a house, and the house that they came to was the house of Lazarus. And his two sisters were in this house also, Mary and Martha. This was probably a place that Jesus had stayed before. I think that he knew of Lazarus. And it was in this city that, according to John's gospel, that the seventh miracle that John records in his gospel was performed. That miracle was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now, this miracle that was being performed here, this was significant, especially in the narrative of John's gospel, because John wrote his gospel declaring that Jesus was the Son of God. And that by believing we might have life in his name. All of these signs and wonders and miracles that Jesus performed, they were to point to who he was. And this last one, before he would go to the cross, was going to be a miracle. It was going to be the raising of Lazarus from the dead that was going to prove that Jesus had even the power over the grave, over death. John 11, if you want to look there, John chapter 11, verse 39, it says that after Lazarus had been dead for four days, isn't that interesting? Four days dead. Jesus standing outside the tomb, we're told that he speaks with a loud voice so that everyone standing by could hear him. Here's Jesus standing outside of this tomb, raising his voice, and he says, Take away the stone, Martha. The sister of him who was dead said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus, we're told, lifted up his eyes 
towards heaven and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Isn't that interesting? I thank you, thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who were standing by, I said this that they may believe that you have sent me. Now when he had said these things, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Could you imagine standing there as this grave was opened up, this body that had been in there for four days, and Jesus with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And we're told that the one who had died came out bound hand and foot in grave clothes. His face was wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Incredible. This is all happening right before the death of our Lord and the resurrection that was to come. A miracle of great significance for those to see so that they might believe. We read that after this miracle, we're told that many in Bethany believed and they put their faith in Jesus. What's interesting about what I'm, as I'm reading this whole story of this last week is how the Lord took the time on these, just these occasions with one individual you know, healing a blind man's eyes and doing, you know, uh, Zacchaeus. He ran into Zacchaeus there in Jericho. All of this for one individual. And he's still on his course towards the cross. And he knows that it's coming. But he's still for that one individual. He's seeking them out. And, and all these things are, it's pretty incredible. If, if that was me and I knew that my death penalty was coming... <laughs> We'd be beside ourselves. He's focused, even on the one, as he's going and, and moving from one area to the next. We also read that after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in John eleven fifty three, we're told from that day on, the religious leaders they plotted to put Jesus to death. Isn't that amazing? Jesus raises somebody from the dead. And even more so, they wanted to put him to death. It was also after the raising of Lazarus from the dead, we're told in verse 54, it says, Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from Bethany, that small village where he was staying, into the country near uh, the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there he remained with his disciples. So basically, he just moved himself out of that area because he knew that the Jews were out to get him. He knew that his time was not yet. It wasn't that he was afraid. He was working within the bounds of timing. In verse 55, we're told that the Passover of the Jews was near. And many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And then they sought Jesus and they spoke among themselves as they stood there in the temple area. So here they are on the temple mount. We have 
thousands and thousands of people from the region coming around for the Feast of Passover. They're there for a whole week, probably longer, even making preparations for the the Passover feast. And here they are on that temple, and they begin to question, what do you think? Will Jesus come to the feast? They're asking that amongst themselves. Now, both the chief priests and the Pharisees Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where Jesus was, that they should report it, that they might seize him. They're looking for him. They want to put him to death. Six days in John chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover. Remember, Jesus was arrested and crucified on Passover. This is six days now before Passover. We're told that Jesus came back to Bethany. He leaves from where he was at up there in Ephraim in that area. He comes back to Bethany where Lazarus was and who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. So he comes back into this house and he's going to come there to sit down for a meal. He's going to... Here's... Here's Lazarus. I don't even know how many, how many days that has transpired, but here he is sitting down with a meal with his family after he had raised him from the dead. How would you like to have been there? Pretty incredible. It's now six days before Passover. Jesus and his disciples are there in Bethany, sitting down for supper with friends. Martha is serving. Lazarus is alive from the dead and is sitting at the table with Jesus and Mary, who is overwhelmed in her heart because of her love for Jesus. Incredible. And and it's at that point that she takes this costly perfume. Who knows how long she had it? She'd been storing very costly perfume. perfume. She, She takes this oil that's worth one year's wages, and she begins to anoint the feet of Jesus and begins wiping it with her hair. And we're told that the house was filled with the fragrance of that oil. Here she is really anointing him for his burial, his death and burial, and not even knowing it. She's just overwhelmed with her love for him. And then you have in that midst, you have one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot. Simon's son who would betray Jesus. Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and and given to the poor, Judas says. Then he says, he said this not because he cared for the, the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box and he used it to take, take, take things from it and put in it. And Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. In verse 23, we read, Jesus says, for the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. They they couldn't take him before that, but here now Jesus begins to change his words. The hour has come. 
that the Son of Man should be glorified. You know, see how he, how, see how he portrays it in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, that he's going to be glorified. It says in verse twenty-seven, "For this purpose, I have come to this hour. For this purpose." Saturday for the Jews was the Sabbath rest. It's now Saturday. And the Jews and Jesus and his disciples, they're just keeping traditional Sabbath tradition like they normally do. But Jesus knew that the next Sunday was going to be that time that he was going to raised from the dead. We come to the uh, Sunday, the first day of the week. In John chapter 12, we read, the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord the king of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples, were told, did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they bore witness. For this reason, it says, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. And so here's this multitude of people that are gathering there around Jesus because of what he had done. That miracle was significant. The Pharisees were told, Therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They were threatened. They were concerned. They're seeing this multitude of people gathering around the Lord. It's important to note that when Jesus came into his public ministry, He presented himself to the nation of Israel as their Messiah. He presented himself really as a prophet. Remember when he came on the scene, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now he's coming as their king, Messiah king, coming down into Jerusalem and and his own people, the ones that should have known. Here he is coming as, as the prophet and the king. Of Israel. This was a prophecy, one of many, but this is a prophecy that Zechariah, 500 years prior, had prophesied about this day. In Zechariah 9 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, prophesied 500 years before this day. Daniel 9, declaring that Jesus would come into Jerusalem as king. 
on that exact day. The people that day, they welcomed Jesus with shouts of Hosanna, which just, which just means save now. And they, they began to quote Psalm 118, what, what Kyle read from this morning, quoting from Psalm 118. And these, this was just really a, a chorus that they were singing. Hosanna, save us now. And the people, I think, were just full of joy. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. In Luke's gospel, we get a, another little bit of information about this day when Jesus came as king into Jerusalem. In chapter 19, verse 29, we're told that it came to pass when Jesus drew near to Bethpage and Bethany. These were two small villages that were side by side. It was at the Mount of Olivet, which is just like if you look out the east gate on the Temple Mount, you see the uh, Mount of Olives. If you go up the side of the Mount of Olives and you go over the top of the Mount of Olives, you would come to that village of Bethany and Bethpage. That's uh, the, the picture that we have here. That he sent two of his disciples, Jesus did, saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied, and on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. I love this story because it tells you, some people try to rationalize this. They try to say, well, Jesus went and he, he made pre-arrangements with the guy that owned the cult. You know, he went in there and told him, hey, I'm going to need this cult in a few days. I'm going to be sending a couple guys over to you and they're going to ask you for your cult. cult. And, and, you know, I don't believe that happened. I believe that Jesus knew exactly what was going to transpire, even in conversation, even where that cult was tied up and where it was, a cult that no one had ever sat on before. And he sends his two disciples over to go retrieve it. And when he gets there... Uh, they, uh, it's just as the Lord had said, uh, the Lord has need of him. And, and so they brought this colt to Jesus and that says that they threw their own clothes on the colt. And then they sat Jesus on him. And as he went, it tells us that the disciples and even the people began to spread their clothes on the, on the road right in front of him as the colt was making its way down from the Mount of Olives. And as he was drawing near the descent, meaning starting to come down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples, they began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, again, Psalm 118, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I had an opportunity, Kathy and myself, when we went to Israel, maybe some of you have been there, where we've walked down that descent, the path, and just, we had a guy with a guitar playing that worship song. 
We had people in front of him and people were all just around him and we're just walking down that descent, facing the Temple Mount, walking down. It's incredible. The path that the Lord went as he was on that donkey, just making his way down that, hill, that Mount of Olives. And then this is the part that I like. Some of the Pharisees that were there as all of these disciples, remember this was not just the 12 disciples. This was a multitude of followers of Jesus that were there praising the Lord. But then it says that in verse 39 that the Pharisees, they called out to Jesus. They were in the crowd. They called out from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciple. Rebuke them. Why do you think they wanted it? They're calling him king. They're, they're, they're singing this psalm to him. They're worshiping him. It's not right. Rebuke him, rebuke him, Jesus. And then we see Jesus in verse 40 answering them. And this is the part I, I, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. You know, the picture I have in my mind as I, as I read this and I just consider, what did that look like? These Pharisees that were angered and telling, telling Jesus to rebuke his disciples. And then he, he says those words about the rocks crying. I, I think Jesus just had this big smile on his face. I think he had this big smile on his face and he said, if, if they were to keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. But you know what I think? I think those Pharisees that were standing there, those religious leaders, they were probably standing there dumbfounded. What's going on? I mean, here's these people just worshiping him. And what are they going to say to that? If they were to keep quiet, the stones themselves would cry out. And they just kept making their way down that descent to, to the city. Pretty incredible picture of the king, the king of kings and lord of lords on the back of a colt making his way for the first time as king of the Jews. You know, in the Jews' mind, this was it. This is what we've been waiting for. Our king has come. Our Messiah is here. He's going to go down. He's going to ride into that city. He's going to set himself up as king. He's going to deliver us from the oppression of these Romans. This is it. It's what we've been waiting for. We're going to get a little bit disheartened in a few days. The disciples uh, were told in, in Mark's Gospel of this account, we're told that they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their clothes on it and they sat Jesus on it and they spread their clothes on the road and they also that they cut down leafy branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. So here they are. Can you picture that? They're up there climbing up these trees, cutting off branches, getting them down on there and laying them out as he made his way down. Quite the picture. Then those who went before and those who followed began to cry out, Hosanna. Just this whole group just following behind him. We're told that he made his way down that day 
into the city. He went up and would have went through the east gate, come down the Mount of Olives, down into the Kidron Valley, come up the side of the Temple Mount, and he would have probably entered in through the east gate up onto the Temple Mount. We're told that he went into Jerusalem and he went into the temple on that day. And he spent some time, but it was drawing uh, late into the evening, and it says, and the hour was late. And so Jesus and his, his disciples, according to Mark's gospel, they went back to Bethany that evening with the twelve. And so Bethany was about a two-mile walk. You had to come back out of the city gate, go back up the, the side of the Mount of Olives, over the top of the hill, about a two-mile walk. And they came back to their home base there at Bethany. On Monday, that was Sunday, on Monday in Mark's gospel, Jesus again returns to Jerusalem. We read in Mark 11, verse 12, Now the next day when they had come from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. I like this. Here's Jesus. Remember, he's all man. He's, he's got to eat. He's hungry. And he sees from afar, he sees a fig tree having leaves on it. And he went to see if perhaps he might find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, he said, he's speaking to the tree, by the way. He says to the tree, let no one eat from you ever again. And as we're told that his disciples heard him say those words. He, he, he's speaking to the tree. He says that. They hear him say it, but they're like, I don't know, maybe they're afraid to say anything. What's he mean by that? Why is he saying that? They don't say anything to him, but, they, but it, it records, but they heard him say what he said. What's interesting is that when Jesus went up and saw this fig tree with leaves on it, but no fruit on it, really what was happening here, it was a picture really of Israel. You know, they, they had all the appearance of Jews. They had all the appearance of what they were, but there was no fruit. There was nothing in them. Quite often like somebody that professes to be a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. But there's nothing, there's no fruit, there's nothing in their life. There's nothing that would distinguish. That's what Jesus didn't want. It's why he cursed that fig tree. And we're told that it just withered away. He continued on with his disciples after that fig tree, and he made his way down once again to the Temple Mount. He entered into the Temple Mount with his disciples that day, into the temple area, and when he walked in there, he saw all of these tables that were set up in the courtyard, the money changers that were doing business, those that were selling animals and doves for sacrifice. Remember, this was the time of the preparation for the Passover feast that was coming. People would come and they would have to uh, exchange money to be able to buy these animals for the, to give to the priests for their sacrifices, and they were uh, charging these extra fees to exchange money for the people. Jesus sees this, and it says that he begins with righteous anger to turn over the money changers' tables and the seats of those that were selling doves, and he begins chasing them out of the temple area. You know, 
as I'm thinking about Jesus' week, this is the Passion Week. There's a lot going on. Uh, How would you like to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in ministry for a week? And all the things that the disciples were experiencing as they're walking along with the Lord. Here he is chasing these money changers out of the temple court area. On Tuesday, we're told Jesus that day, he would have left the temple, went back to Bethany again. And on Tuesday, Jesus now makes his way from, uh, from Bethany uh, once again to Jerusalem. So each day he's coming back and forth between Bethany and Jerusalem. In Mark eleven twenty, it says, Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree that was dried up from its roots. And Peter, remembering, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answers and says to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. You see, Jesus always had time to disciple, to teach lessons of faith, teaching his disciples lessons. He's teaching them on-the-job training as they're going along. When Jesus arrived that day, on Tuesday, he arrives in the temple again. He enters that temple area, and he's confronted on this day with a series of questions from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. But this is going to be a day where there's going to be a lot of stirring going on. Uh, Jesus is going to uh, get a lot of people angered on this particular day. This was a day that he began to speak to the religious leaders in parables as he was up there in the Temple Mount with with probably hundreds if not thousands of people that were up on this Temple Mount. He shared the parable about the wicked uh, vine dressers that was specifically pointed at these religious leaders. They said, uh, they, they sent the Pharisees and the Herodians that day to catch Jesus in his words, and, and, and they questioned him about paying taxes to Caesar. This is all happening in just this one day. They uh, sent the Sadducees over to him, and, and they came over saying that there's no, no resurrection, and they were trying to trick Jesus in that. And then the scribes came along, and they came to Jesus and they tried to trick him with the, which is the first commandment of all. And they're trying to, and, and so all of this is happening on that one day, Tuesday. Can you see why this is a, a passion week? A week of suffering? He also saw on that day, though, it's recorded, 
as he was up on that Temple Mount, he saw this widow that was sitting over there. And this widow went over and she put that widow's mite into that box. And Jesus made it a point to tell his disciples, you know what? There's a lot of people up here that are putting money into that box and they're giving it out of their abundance. But this woman has given it, not given from her abundance, she has given from her poverty. She's given everything that she had. He makes that point. He's teaching his disciples, even as they're going on. He's rebuking these Pharisees and then teaching his disciples. All of that in one day up on that Temple Mount. Then on the return to Bethany that day, the disciples, they were reeling. They probably had all kinds of stuff going on in their head. They had all kinds of questions. And so they stopped Jesus on the Mount of Olives. And while they're overlooking the temple, they, be, they begin to ask Jesus some questions. And this is what's referred to as the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24. He predicts the destruction of the temple to his disciples, which happened in 70 AD. He gives them the signs of the times of the end. And he also talks about the great tribulation and the second coming of Jesus Christ. He warns them to be wise and to be watchful and to be ready, for you don't know the hour that the Son of Man is coming. All of this is happening. He's preparing them for what is still to come. In Matthew 26, verse 1, it says that it came to pass when Jesus had finished all of these sayings, that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover. We're now just two days from the Passover on Friday, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. He's telling his disciples precisely what's going to come to pass. Wednesday has been referred to as the silent day in the Gospels because nothing is really said of Jesus on that day or his disciples. It could be that they were back in Bethany. Maybe it was a day of rest. Maybe it was a day of preparation as there was a lot of preparation for the Passover to happen on Friday. We read in Matthew 26.3 that the religious leaders, though, were hard at work. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people were told they assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and were told that they plotted of how they were going to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. Then comes Thursday. On this day, perhaps this was all just a day of preparation also. This was going to be the time really at sundown that Jesus was going to gather together with his disciples. It was going to be that last supper. Remember that the Jews clock that the next day starts at when the sun goes down on Thursday. That's the beginning of the next day. Here is Jesus with his disciples in that room having that last supper with his disciples. In John 13, 1, it records that Jesus knew, Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father. It was on this night that Jesus was going to wash his disciples' feet. And 
he was also going to be betrayed that night by Judas Iscariot. He was also going to warn Peter. And Peter was going to go out into the night that night, and he was going to deny the Lord three times. That same evening before Jesus leaves to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, we're told that he lifted up one of the longest recorded prayers in the Bible of his. It's in John chapter 17, where Jesus lifts up this long prayer, but part of what he says is, Father, he says, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. That's Jesus' prayer to his Father. The hour has come. That evening, Jesus would leave that upper room and he would exit that temple, Mount area. He would make his way down again, that Kidron Valley, and he would come to the foot of the Mount of Olives to the place called the, the Garden of Gethsemane, the place where Jesus would kneel and to pray. It would be the place where the disciples would fall asleep. It's the place where the guards came that evening with, uh, with a mob of people, and they came with clubs and lanterns and torches and weapons to arrest the Lord. And they bound Jesus and they took him away that night. They took him over to the palace, really. Took him back up the Temple Mount, back across, probably out of the Temple Mount, over to the place of Annas and then Caiaphas. This was going to be Jesus now standing before the high priest to start with. Later that night, they were going to bring in the Sanhedrin. And they were going to have Jesus stand before the Sanhedrin where they were going to actually put that, uh, that covering over his head and, and tell him to prophesy who's smacking you. And they, they, they basically mocked him as re- religious leaders that were there. And Jesus didn't answer a word. We know that it was going to be through that night that Jesus was going to be tortured by the Romans. This is all preparation for what was going to be happening on that next morning as Jesus was there uh, in the custody now of the Romans. And we see in that Jesus here now all ready prepared already have prayed to his father, already been obedient all the way to the end, following exactly the prescribed course to the cross. To me, it's an incredible, laid out for us in such an incredible way to see that God was in control of all of this. That he was leading his son to that cross for you and me. That brings us to what we call Good Friday. Is there anyone that would call a crucifixion Good Friday? The only one that would are those that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You see, we call it Good Friday because we know how good it is to you and I. We know what the cross meant. 
We know what it accomplished. And so we call it Good Friday. It cost Him everything. It cost us nothing. And He gave us salvation. And so this coming Friday, we're going to be once again opening up the Word of God and we're going to look at what transpired on that Good Friday. The trial, the crucifixion, the death, the burial of Jesus Christ. This is what means everything to you and I and our salvation. That Good Friday. My hour has come. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.